0: Today, uh, I have a goal, and my goal is to help us all think clearly about what matters most. You cannot take what matters least, make it important, and still fulfill all of God's purposes within your life. You have to discover what matters most in life and give yourself to it completely. This is the best use of a life. When the Bible says, God says that, hey, don't have any other gods before me. He wasn't saying, don't put anything down and worship it instead of God. No, he was saying, don't make anything more important than I am in your life. In other words, on your priority list, make sure that I am at the top. Now, our our scripture for today that we're going to look at is Ephesians 5, verse 15 and 16. So if you don't mind turning there, Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. The Bible says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. There's so much in that verse. But let me start off by saying the word circumspectly means to be cautious to be careful, to be well thought through. So in other words, see that you are well thought through, that you're cautious, that you're careful about life, and that you don't walk as fools, but rather as wise people, redeeming the time. In other words, making the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 16, that same verse in the NASB, it reads this way, Therefore, be careful how you walk. That's a different way of saying, watch out how you live. Be careful how you walk. Watch out how you live. Be careful regarding the decisions of your life, the relationships you build. Watch out for the purposes you spend your life on. Consider those things, not as unwise or foolish, but as wise people. Making the most of your time. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. Now, the directives given to us here was to redeem our time and to make the most of it. Why? Because the times we are living in, they are evil. These times are wicked. So, God has a little red flashing light that'll help you as a reminder, or a little bell that rings that helps you as a reminder. Every single time you turn on the television and you go, wow, this world is evil. Wow, look at all the wickedness in this world. Can you believe how crazy things are? Every time you think that or say that, that is a reminder, that is a flashing red light, that is a bell going off, reminding you that you are to make the most of the time that you have. Every time you see evil, say, God, I've got to make the most of my day. Every time you see wickedness, God, I've got to make the most of this week. So our next, uh, our text today in Ephesians 5.15 We see that it places a very high value on the opportunities that we have in life. And it warns us to be very careful that opportunities are not wasted and opportunities are not squandered. So, a closer look at it, we see that we are encouraged to exercise wisdom. So, that's the big question. (laughs) We have to exercise wisdom so that we can make the most of our time. Therefore, The lesson is clear here, that without wisdom, it would be impossible for you and I to make the most of our life. Let me say it this way. Without wisdom, it will be impossible for you and I to make the most of our lives, of our time. Therefore, we need to get and apply wisdom. But the million-dollar question here is, where do I go to get wisdom? Proverbs nine ten tells us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So my personal takeaway here is that if I want to make the absolute most of my time, the absolute most of my life, then the fear of the Lord is the starting point for me. The fear of the Lord is the starting point for anybody to make the most of their lives. Because the fear of the Lord leads to wisdom. Wisdom leads to redeeming your time. And then ultimately, redeeming your time leads to the heavenly and eternal rewards that we will experience in heaven one day. Now, there are four ways of making somebody aware of the preciousness of time. There are four ways of helping somebody recognize how precious time really is. First, by showing them the reason why time is precious. Secondly, by showing them how much eternity depends on what you do with your time now and here. By showing them how short time really is. And fourthly, by showing them how uncertain the length of a man's time on earth may be. The time God has given us in life is extremely precious. And here here are the reasons why. First, Time is precious because your eternal rewards in heaven depends on how you use your time here on earth. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 3 12. I want to show that to you. 1 Corinthians 3 verse 12. The Bible says anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Now, when it talks about that foundation, it's talking about Jesus Christ and God's plan of redemption through Christ. And here the, the apostle is telling us that anyone who builds on that gospel of Jesus Christ, who builds their life upon Christ, may use a variety of materials. So in other words, we realize that this person is building his life on Christ. But while he's doing it, he can do it with different kinds of building materials. Then he lists six different kinds of building materials. He says, you can build your life with gold. You can build your life with silver, with jewels, all right, or with wood, hay, or straw. Verse 13, but on the judgment day, but on the judgment day. So now he's going all the way past this life into the next. He says, on your first day in heaven, because all Christians will go through the judgment seat of Christ where you aren't judged whether you're going to go to heaven or hell. You are going to be judged on what kind of life are you going to have in heaven. You're going to be judged on the works that you did here on earth. He says, But on that judgment day, fire, the judgment of God, will reveal what kind of work each, each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value, if the work survives, That builder will receive a reward, but if the work is burnt up, that builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. So we see two things happening here. The one guy receives a great reward, but the other one experiences great loss. What what loss is he experiencing? He's experiencing the loss of great rewards. All right. So we see that time is precious. Why? Because your eternal rewards in heaven depends on how you use your time on earth. The second reason why time is precious is because of all the good it can accomplish. Things are precious in relation to their importance. Men and women set their highest value on things that affect them the most. Time affects humans in so many different ways. I'll list a few. Naturally speaking, it goes well with a person, at least financially, who puts his time to good use. On the other hand, if a person does not put his time to good use, they might end up real poor. But time well spent could possibly end up making a person successful, wealthy, and comfortable. Now, we could uh, become fruitful, effective, and very useful in God's work also if we use our time well. But the greatest reason why time is important is because of how it will affect our eternal lives. That is the greatest use of time. That means the reason it is important to make the most of your time is because of the eternal effects it has on you. Gold and silver, those are considered precious around the world throughout all the ages. And the reason for it is because of what it can buy for you. That's why gold is precious, because of what you can get in return for it. Example, gold can be used to end a certain amount of poverty in someone's life. In the same way, in the same way that We measure the value of gold by considering all that it can buy or accomplish. The value of time should be measured by what it can accomplish, if used wisely. So we see that time is precious. Why? Because your eternal rewards in heaven depends on how you use your time. Secondly, because of all the good it can accomplish. But number three, time is uh, precious because it is short. You see, the scarcity of any commodity causes people to set a higher value on that commodity, especially if it's necessary for life. That is why time should be prized. Because a born-again, blood-bought Christian's eternal rewards are decided by what he does with that time on earth. So the scarcity of time is therefore another reason that makes time precious. Job said in Job chapter 16 verse 22 For when a few years are past I shall go the way of no return. In James 4:14 4, the Bible says, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You don't know. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. So we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know how long life is. But the Bible compares it to a vapor that comes and goes. It comes and vanishes. So time is short. And the work we have to do is great. We have no time to waste, therefore. The work we have to do for eternity must be done in the time that is available. Or it will be left undone forever. So we see the preciousness of time. The reason it is precious is because it is also short. Then we see time is precious because when it has passed, it can never again be recovered. There are many things you and I can recover after losing it. For instance, money lost can be recovered. In many instances, health lost can be recovered. Through understanding, grace, and forgiveness, even broken relationships can possibly be recovered. So most things, or many things, can be recovered after losing it, but not so with time. Even if we regret wasted time, there's no possible way of regaining it. Time will not wait for anyone. If we refuse to make the most of the present opportunity, it is taken away, it is forever lost, and it will never again be offered. After wasted time, after squandered opportunities, the only possible thing we, have, we can do, the only option we have is to make the most of the time that we have left. Saying, thank you, Lord, for this day. This is the day that the Lord has made. Now, I will rejoice in this time. I will rejoice in this day. I will rejoice in the time I have left here on this earth. Eternity depends on the proper use of our time here on earth. So when the span of time closes up, then... There is no possible way of reversing wasted and lost time. There is no possible way of finding additional time to prepare for eternity. It reminds me of the story of the wise virgins and the foolish virgins. And it reminds me of looking back to our context here where it says, Now don't walk uncircumspectly. Don't walk with blindfolds on. Realize that this isn't forever, and what you do with this matters eternally. Be wise, like those wise virgins. Be wise, be ready, be alert. You see, when God created you, He gave you a soul. He made you for an endless duration. Everybody lives forever. But not everybody lives forever in heaven with God. He gave you a time here on earth in order to prepare you for eternity. That's what our time here on earth is all about. Preparing us for eternity. And your future eternity depends on the good use of this time. So consider what you have done with time so far in your life. This is not always a fun experience. But it is a wake up call. And remember, in the beginning of today, I mentioned to you that my goal is to help us look soberly at life. That's possibly the greatest gift you can receive from another human is that somebody can help you look at something without being deceived. Time is precious, it is never recovered. It is a currency, it is a divine eternal currency because what we do with it now affects how we experience heaven then. Will my works burn up and I will suffer great loss of reward or will what I have done in this earth with the time that I had remain like gold going through a fire and being purified by a fire? But wood, wood, that all burns up. But may the works that you leave in this world be gold when you, when you arrive in heaven. So let's think about the things that we have done over the last handful of years, maybe decade or decades. You see, you and I are not just starting our lives right now. But a big part of our lives have already come and gone. Some of us are at the quarter. Mark, some of us are halfway, Mark. Some of us are beyond that. But I thought of doing it this way. All right, this is just a little exercise. Let me ask you, do you remember the movie called The Passion of the Christ? The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's great movie that was released. It was huge. And I think you have the, the graphic on the screen right now. I remember going into the movie theaters to watch The Passion of the Christ And then I looked up when this was released. The year I went to go watch it, and you went to go watch it in the theaters, was the year 2004, which happens to be 16 years ago. Now, I remember it as clearly as yesterday. but That was 16 years ago. 16 years came and went. What has come of that is the question. Here's another one. Uh, Some of you might be uh, old enough to remember this, but Michael Jackson in his heyday came out with an album called Bad. And I know my wife in her BC years uh, used to love this stuff. But Michael, Michael Jackson, do you remember that album when it came out and when it was huge? Well, that was 1987. That was 33 years ago. 33 years ago. Here's the last one I'll show you. I remember the moment, I remember where I was standing, I was actually next to Tina. We're standing staring at the TV screen and we saw aeroplanes fly into a building, into the Twin Towers in New York. Wife, I remember that like it was yesterday. But do you realize that that was in 2001? That was 19 years ago. Next year, that that event is uh, two decades old. 20 years old time comes and goes so quickly when I was in high school I used to love this band ABBA and um, they used to sing this song it's like you know talking about their kids growing up they said they like it's like um, sand slipping through my fingers every day that's time it's just it just flows it doesn't stop it just marches on and and It concerns itself with no one. You have to concern yourself with it. So let's jog our memories and think of what eternal kingdom work has been accomplished in the last 10 years, in the last 20 years. Now, with the pandemic, suddenly we realize that people have worked their whole entire life for something only to lose it within a month. And they may have worked 10 years, they may have have worked 20 years, some of them have worked 30 years and just lost it. You see, things aren't eternal unless it is kingdom-related, unless it is divinely purposed. So it's so important for us to not chase, uh, chase into the wrong direction. Running fast is not the goal because you can run fast into the wrong direction. Moving into the right direction is the goal. So now consider the fact that the most advanced science, the most futuristic technology that we have today, the wisest philosopher that's alive today, The most powerful world leaders today, none of that, none of them can reverse lost time or recover squandered opportunities. These things are impossible. And if we realize this, if this becomes a reality to us, suddenly the value of time escalates. Suddenly we realize how precious time really is. And time is a gift from God. You see, your memory replays the past. Your imagination preplays a possible future. But every moment you have enjoyed in your life is now a precious memory that can be replayed. You can go to the photo albums and you can just page through your high school photos and your college photos where you got married These are wonderful memories to replay. However, every moment you have invested into God's kingdom purposes preplays a hope within your heart of a future reward. Everything that you have done for God, for His kingdom, for His people, for His children, for His glory, all of that is gold, precious stones, and is purified by the fire, it one day goes through. And those things, those things become rewards to a person who enters heaven. You know, there's no other scriptural way of viewing time. What else are we doing here except glorifying God with the life that we have and then being rewarded for glorifying Him? There is no other doctrine... There's no other perspective, there's no greater use than taking your time and glorifying God by accomplishing His purposes on this earth that He called you for. Now, if that statement there isn't completely clear to you, I want to encourage you to go to last week, all you need to do is go to christnation.tv and go to the podcast and you can listen to last week because this is part two. And last week we talked about what it means to glorify God with the life that you have. Well, it's very clearly stated in the Bible that the way to glorify God is to accomplish what He has called for you to do. Do His bidding. Engage in things here on this earth that has eternal values. So I really want to encourage you to look into that that we did last week. There is nothing more precious Than the time we have. While at the same time, it's true for me, even though time is the most precious commodity we have, it seems like there's nothing we tend to waste more than time. We just burn it, we don't invest it, we just spend it, we just waste it. And if a person was as wasteful with their money as they are with their time, we would look at that person and we think of them as a fool. If they're just throwing money away and burning money and burning money, we'll think that they're they're foolish. But we, on the other hand, would take time and we'll just throw it out the window. We'll just burn it. We'll just waste it. And we would think nothing of it. So, Let's consider who the person is that needs to listen to this. Who needs to hear what we're talking about here. Well, the person who spends a lot of time being idle. That's the first person that needs to hear this message. The person that spends a lot of time being idle. And for most part, I'm talking about being spiritually idle. I love reading commentaries and I love listening to older ministers. And one of the things that I hear echoed throughout the generations of old preachers is that we are now currently living in the, in the generation that is biblically most illiterate. They are biblically most illiterate than all other generations. And there are a lot of reasons for it, and we can talk about those reasons. The point is just, People don't know the Bible. They only know the scripture their favorite preacher likes to teach on. That's all they know. Quotes and they know other statements, but do they know the Bible? <clears throat> so what can we spend our t- what can we invest our time in? Well, start here. Know God. And then when you know God, you can help make God known. And this is you accomplishing a great part of your purpose here on this earth. So Consider who this message is for. First, it's for the person who spends a lot of time being idle. Proverbs 19:15 says, "Laziness throws one into a deep sleep, and an idle person will go hungry." An idle person will go hungry. There will be hungry people in this world no matter how many social justice warriors exist there will be hungry people because the Bible says idle people will go hungry and there are idle people, therefore there will be hungry people. But laziness, it says, throws one into a deep sleep. Proverbs 14:23 says, in all labor there is profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. So really the people that this message is for are for those who spend a lot of time being idle and just talking and never actually throwing themselves into the purposes of God. The second person is the person who neglects their commitment to God's kingdom in order to ensure their own worldly pursuits. I'll say that again. It's the person who neglects their commitments to God's kingdom in order to ensure their own worldly pursuits. They are a lot more committed to their worldly pursuits than what they ever are in serving God. These are the people who will let hundreds of kingdom opportunities pass them by because they're busy, you know. They'll let these kingdom opportunities pass them by but will grab at and run after every opportunity they get that promises them personal gain. These people are the ones who will let hundreds of kingdom opportunities pass them by, but they will grab it and run after every single opportunity that promises them personal gain. This is the person we're talking to today. This person does not realize that time was not given for himself but for eternity that follows the life that he now has. That's why time was given to you and I. The person who puts off humbling themselves before the cross of Christ, this is the person we're talking about. Most people who are not living for God, but know that they should live for God, usually do so because they think they have more time. They think that sometime in the future... They'll give themselves to God completely. They think that they will make right with God later on in life. This is not a thought from God. If you have that thought, it's not from God. It's a deception. It's not a reality. God, on the other hand, calls you to come to Him today. He calls you to come to Him right now. It says it, 2 Corinthians 6, 2. Indeed, the right time is now. If you ever say, well, I'll do it when the time is right. Well, this is the right time. The right time is now. And then it says, today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. So I want to give you a little exhortation on making the most of the time that you have. You see, the enemy will encourage a young person to waste time by saying what? By saying, there's so much of it. Enjoy yourself. Relax. Do all the other things. Go sow your wild oats. Go do everything that you probably shouldn't be doing. You have a lot of time to fix this thing. That's the message that comes from the enemy through the flesh to a young person. There's a lot of time left. Take it easy. Get distracted. Don't get serious about stuff. You're too young. Enjoy being a goof. You're only in your 30s. Come on. After this young person has squandered his young years and aimlessly pursuing worldly things and self-gain and self-satisfying pleasures, he now finds himself older And he's told by that same enemy, well, it's too late now. (laughs) You can't regain all of that that you've lost. Now it's too late. First, it was too early. Now it's too late. And that's how Satan puts people in checkmate. It is Satan's plan to trap you that way. But my conclusion to you is here. And that is that Satan is always wrong. He is never, ever right. What matters right now is that you become serious with regards to seeking God and seeking God's kingdom first and foremost now. It's never been as urgent as it is now. Why? Because he said it right there. He says, now, live circumspectly, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. So when you see the evil day, that little bell's supposed to go off. That red light's flashing. Make the most of today. Make the most of this week. Make the most of this time. You go, we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're locked down. Make the most of this time. This is the time God has called you to redeem and to become effective for his kingdom. So that's my conclusion here, that seeking God's kingdom above all else, before all else, in spite of all else that might be going on, seek Him and seek Him first. Seek Him consistently. Seek Him with all of your heart. There's no better time than right now. As a pastor, I get the opportunity to oftentimes go and visit people in the pr- in, um, hospital, in prison too, but in hospital. Uh, we go visit somebody in a hospital, especially if they're on, uh, they're lost. You realize how sober that person becomes, regarding time. Even though they have just come to the realization, there isn't, they don't have enough money to add a moment to the time they have left. They don't. They don't have enough contacts, or they don't have enough important people to help them. There's nothing they can do. There's not enough that they have that can add anything to the time they have left. It's a sobering thing, and I see it every time when I go praying for somebody. Just the sobriety that comes to a person in that situation. But I'm asking you to compare that picture, that circumstance, that scenario, with a younger person just burning time and squandering opportunities. Which one do you think is deceived? Which one do you think is sobered? (laughs) Of course. You know it's the one who's realized that time is up and there's no possible way of adding any, and they would do anything if they could to add a moment to their life. So today, my goal for you is just to be sobered up about the life that you have. Live it for God's glory. That's the best use of your life. There are two recommendations on making the most of your time. Two recommendations on making the most of your time. Now, I'll give you three. How about, all Right. The first is redeem the present time without any delay. Don't think that there will be a more convenient time later. There isn't. You are not too young, you are not too old, you are not too insignificant, you are, it's not too early, it's not too late, you're not too uneducated, you're too pre- unprepared, you are not too shy, you are not anything, too much of this or too little of that. Now is your time, redeem this present time without delay. In other words, squeeze your spiritual progress out of every possible day. Ecclesiastes 11.4 says this. It says, if you wait for perfect conditions, you will never get anything done. I tell you as a pastor, it is never the right time for anybody to say, I'm going to serve God wholeheartedly. It is never the right time. There's always so many, there are always so many other things going on. Right now, we're in the middle of a pandemic. <laughs> There's always something. There are so many fires to kill. People are always just so busy. But remember, 20 years come and go so quick. It's like, it's like a blink of an eye. I remember those airplanes flying into those buildings like it was Yesterday but that was 19 years ago. It is never a convenient time to serve God. And serving God is never the convenient thing to do with your life. That's why Ecclesiastes 11.4 says, if you wait for that perfect condition, you will never get anything done. You will come to the end of this road, you'll look back and you go like, whoa, I forgot to do that. So the first thing is, redeem the present time without any delay. Start right now. Some of you behind your computers, you are making that decision right now. You're going to serve God with all that you have. Number two, find the most valuable opportunities you currently have in your life. Then immediately make the absolute most of them. What's the best use of, the, of my time right now? The moment you can point out the most valuable kingdom opportunity you have, then tackle that opportunity like a football player. No questions asked. No two thoughts entertained. No second guessing. No debating. Do it. We have to learn to make God's purposes the top priority in our lives. This is a battle, especially in the West. This is a huge battle because there's so much going on. And this world is telling us all these things are so extremely important and extremely valuable. And I'm here to cut through all of that noise and tell you it's not. Time runs out, and when it runs out, you'll be sobered up over the fact that the most important thing in your life was what got, what is What was going to matter then? This is the most important thing in your life, and that is glorifying God with the life that you have by giving it to Him, to His purposes. Isaiah 55, verse 6 says, Seek the Lord. This is the prophet, Isaiah. He says, Seek the Lord. When? While He may be found, because there is a time when he will not be available. Seek the Lord while he may yet be found. Call upon him while he is near, because there will be a time when he's not. So the first recommendation on making the most of your time is redeem the time without delay. Start now. The second is find the most valuable Um, opportunities you currently have, kingdom opportunities that you currently have, and immediately make the absolute most of that kingdom opportunity. And number three, take personal responsibility for redeeming your time. Take personal responsibility for redeeming your time. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. Oh, that kind of like seals the deal right there. You are not your own. He says, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. You are not your own. You have been purchased with a price, therefore glorify God. And here's my point. If you are not your own, Neither is your time. If I am not my own, but I belong to God's, well, then so, does, so is my time, God's. It's in God's hands. If you see your time as something that belongs to God, then you will have the sense of stewarding that time on God's behalf. So my conclusion here is, that it's my goal today to help us all think soberly, How can we look at the life we have with clear eyes and a sober mind so that we can make decisions that will keep our hearts pure before God? Because a heart that's not pure is a divided heart. I love God, but I also love the world. I do serve God, but I prioritize, uh, you know, personal gain. Uh, This is a divided heart, which is not a pure heart. I trust God, but I also have to, like, make sure that there's a plan B for me to fall on, and so if God doesn't come through for me, I can... So that doubt there is a divided heart. It's not a pure heart. So my goal here today is to help us think think soberly and see with clear eyes and with unified and focused hearts To think about life and eternal life without a deception, a veil that covers us, covers our thinking. It is my goal to help us think clearly about what matters most in this life. So I know different kinds of people are watching right now, and everybody's at a different place. Realize this, that salvation is not a destination. Salvation is a direction. Why do you say that, Jacques? Because the Apostle Paul was an extremely mature individual who had gone very far down that road in following Christ. But the criminal hanging next to Jesus on the cross... He put his faith in Christ right there and then he died the next moment. He didn't have time to get to where Paul was but he turned into the right direction and both of them are saved. The apostle Paul will enter heaven and his works will be gold, it will be silver, it will be precious stones and I am sure because he's human there will be some works in his life that was wood, hay, and stubble, and it'll burn up. The man that hung next to Jesus on the cross, he will make it as one escaping a wall of fire. But I'm saying that because salvation is not a destination. You never arrive at salvation because of what you've done. No, salvation is a direction. It's where you put your faith. You put your faith in self to save yourself by your good works or you put your faith in Christ to save you for good works. For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves lest any man should boast. It is the gift of God, for you are God's workmanship in Christ Jesus unto good works, saved without works for the purpose of works. And then those good works that are gold and precious stones and silver, those become rewards to the believer in the life hereafter. So I know people are all different parts of this journey and this following Christ, the path that they've taken, yet everyone has a decision to make. It doesn't matter where you are on this road in following Christ. Every one of us have decisions to make regarding what we're going to do with the time we have left. Some of you need to turn away from the world and turn to God altogether. And then others, you keep on readjusting your distractions. But what I want to do right here is I want to allow everybody to make their decision wherever they are on this road. But I want to specifically emphasize those who need to make sure that they have been reconciled to God. It is so important that you take this opportunity And solidify the fact that you have been reconciled to God, and there's no possible way of being reconciled to God outside of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ saves you. And the analogy he gave us in the life of Noah is so clear. God said, Noah, there's a judgment coming, there's a coming judgment, a massive flood. Build this ark. And then God took Noah, his family, a handful of people, and he put them in the ark, and he shut that door. There was one door to the ark. He shut that door, and when the floods beat down on the earth, they were inside of that ark safe. Now, the gospel is the same story. God saying, There's a judgment coming. This time round, it's not going to be water flooding the earth. It is going to be fire burning the earth, the Bible says in Revelation. And there's only one door to get into the ark that can save you from that judgment. It is Christ. He's the only door. And the New Testament tells us that Noah was a type of Christ. And just as the ark saved Noah and his family... So the cross, also made of wood, is going to save those who are in Christ from coming judgment. The only possible way to enter that ark or to enter Christ is through faith in Christ. You are justified by faith alone in Christ alone. We are made right before God. So I want to encourage every person watching. To go before God today, this is your responsibility. It is not my prayer. My prayer is not what's going to save you. But you putting your faith in Jesus Christ and what He did for you, He becomes your ark that saves you from future judgment. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus, you are now my Lord. Lord is a nice English word for boss or leader. You could pray it this way. Jesus, I confess with my mouth, you are now my leader. I now follow you. You are my boss. I obey you. You are now my authority. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, boss, leader, and authority and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, if you can believe that with your heart, if you can believe that with your heart, you will be saved. God saves you for putting your faith in the work of the cross. All that is left for us to do now regarding salvation is to thank Him. It's to thank Him. Do you know that God gives us gifts? As regards to salvation, first gift is God draws you to Christ. If you are drawn to Christ, then know that this was God's gift to you. Jesus said, no man comes to me unless the Father himself draws you to me. So if you're coming to Christ today, it's because God is drawing you, and this is his doing, that is his gift to you. There's a second gift He gives you, and that is a new heart. He says that He gives you a brand new heart with brand new desires. Suddenly, you want God. You want to be right with God. You want to know God. You have a desire for God. Folks, if you have a desire for God, know this, that it is because God gave you that second gift, which is a brand new heart. Because your old heart couldn't desire God, wouldn't desire God, as a matter of fact, hated God but now that you desire Him this is God's hand in your life this is God drawing you to Himself making you want Him this is a gift then there's a third gift God gives you the third gift is called repentance in Acts chapter 11 verse 18 the apostles were stunned at something they saw Gentiles, non-Jews, come to Christ. And they said, we now realize, we now see, that God has granted even the Gentiles the gift, the gift of repentance. Repentance is a gift. What is repentance? It is a turning. What do you turn away from? Yourself, believing that you are good enough. And you're turning to Christ because you need Christ to save you because you realize you aren't good enough. (laughs) And so God offered repentance to the Gentiles. The Bible also says that God granted the gift of repentance to Israel. I'll prove it to you in the opposite and then we're going to close. There were two brothers in the Bible, Jacob and Esau. The Bible says that God loved Jacob. But God hated his brother, Esau. And then the Bible says this, that Esau sought repentance. He sought a place of repentance. But God did not offer him that gift. He found it nowhere. He was unable to repent. He was unable to turn to God. If you are able to turn to God today and say, God, I need you to save me. I need to turn my back on me because I am not able to. If you're able to turn, in other words, Jesus said this way, if you want to follow me, you have to deny yourself. If you're able to deny your own works and yourself and turn, that turning is God's gift to you. So we're on the third gift. The first gift was God chose you and He, co- he pulled you to Christ. He drew you to Christ. The second gift is He gave you a brand new heart And that brand new heart has new desires, desiring God instead of self and the world. And then He gave you a third gift, the gift of repentance, the ability to turn. And then here's the fourth gift. This is fantastic. The Bible says, for by grace you've been saved. The subject here is salvation. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that, not of yourselves. That faith, not of yourselves. Listen to it again. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And that faith, not of yourselves, it, that faith, is a gift from God. So no man can boast. What am I saying? I'm saying that if you have faith to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that faith was God's gift to you so that you can believe in Jesus so that you can believe that he was raised from the dead it's who believes something like that that two thousand years ago this guy was crucified and then he just walked out of a tomb three days later who believes that it's impossible unless God gives you the gift of faith to believe that that actually happened and at that point you are sealed with the Holy Spirit saved for all eternity There are your four gifts. God chooses you and then draws you to Christ. Then what He does, He births in you a brand new heart that desires Him. Thirdly, He gifts you with the ability to turn. And then fourthly, He puts faith in your heart so now you can believe. And the moment you believe, you're saved. I hope you can write down those four things and go before God and say, God, thank you for these gifts. And this is the prayer I want to end off with today. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that every person watching today will be sobered up over the fact that time is precious, cannot be recovered, there isn't much of it, we need to use it the best way possible and you call us right now right here to run to you with the time we have left we thank you for your four gifts we thank you God for the gift of drawing us to your son Jesus Christ we thank you for the gift of a brand new heart that now desires you We thank you for the gift of repentance so we can turn our backs on ourselves and turn to Christ for help. We thank you for the gift of faith so we too can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross which is sufficient for us. In Jesus' name I pray, save us Salvation is yours, God. Every part of it, from beginning to end, you're the author and the finisher of it, God. All glory goes to you. You saved us by drawing us, giving us a new heart, causing us to desire you, allowing us to turn, and then giving us the faith to believe. All of salvation is yours. It belongs to you. Amen. Amen.